Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is May 4th, 2015. Whoa, 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 whoa. What day is it? It's May 4th, 2015. If we're going to do this, we're going to have to do it right. What? Continue. Oh, Jesus. Today is May 4th, and may I just say, Scott Magnus, may the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you, Mr. English. This is Bird's Eye View, and it's episode 120. My name is Jake English, and I'm here with the ever uh, unpredictable Scott Magnus. I'm your Sith Lord, basically, and you are my Padawan. I don't even know what to make of that. Uh, you can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, where we run an occasional blog and host the podcast. We're also proud members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, where you should find us and other great writers. Also, fantastic podcasts across Baltimore sports talking about the Orioles, the Ravens, I guess the Caps and Wizards too. Uh, make sure you check out Baltimore Sports Today and also Cody Colston's BSR Weekly Updates. Scott and I are going to be all over BSR postgame live Tuesdays and Thursdays after the Orioles game. Come spend some time with us. And if you're going to listen to this show, we recommend that you do it on Stitcher. But iTunes is also a choice. And if you're going to do it there, make sure you, you leave a review. We'd really appreciate it. Um, on social media, you can find us everywhere. We uh, are on Google+. Plus. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash BEVcast. But the best part, uh, the best way to find us, rather, is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Scotty, perfectly timed to the music. Yes. It's almost like we practiced. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you drinking this week? I am drinking a uh, Terrapin Hopsecutioner. Uh, a, a beer from uh, Athens, Georgia. It's it's an IPA, and it's it's pretty good. Did you buy it because it had a terrapin on it? Okay, <laughs> this is a really embarrassing thing. <laughs> Before I came over tonight, yes, I was sitting down with my kids and watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and so when I looked at you the mean beer, Buck Showalter. Yes. <laughs> For so, those that don't know, Jake explained that Master Splinter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Is pretty much similar to Buck Showalter for the Baltimore Orioles to your four year old. My, my four year old asked who Buck Shoulder was and why he kept seeing him on the screen, and I explained it was kind of like Masters. But anyway, it doesn't matter. We were we, Delman Young does kind of look like a Ninja Turtle. <laughs> the turtle spoke to me when I was looking at the at the beer uh, choices, and that's yes why I picked it. Thank you. Gotcha. So your children's cartoons are telling you to drink more beer. Gotcha. Don't they all? Uh, okay, Jake, I'm going with a gin and tonic tonight, but it's been muddled with some mint in it as well. So it's, it's an excellent summer summer drink. Well, that drink is money. If only because keep... it has been minted. Wow. And this is Baltimore Ons, episode 165. <laughs> yes, it's been three weeks since we've last been here because, well, you know, it's not like we've got anything else better to do. 
And we've reached a new level. This isn't even Drink of the Week inspired. We're just stupid. Yes. So uh, speaking about stupid things and everything that's going on, let's talk about the medical wing and the stupid things that are going on with that. People are hurt, but there may be some that are back along the way. This very evening in Bowie, apparently there are some uh, Major League players involved. Yeah, uh, J.J. Hardy is down there rehabbing, and so is Ryan Flaherty. Sounds like they're going to be down there for probably about four or five days, um, just cutting in their rehab assignment in. Um, but it looks like the time for J.J. Hardy and Ryan Flaherty coming back is pretty soon. Look, I'm just relieved to see them playing ball, especially J.J. Hardy, because I felt for the longest time the only updates were non-updates. Yeah, he's still not swinging the bat. Yeah, he's still taking fielding practice. But this is an excellent sign, especially because I feel like this team needs them right now. And we'll probably get into that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, the other aspect is Wesley Wright was discussed, uh, and he's going to start throwing again on May 19th of this, uh, this month. So, uh, another lefty comeback in would be of benefit, especially because of how bad Brian Mattis has been lately. Jonathan Scope was back with the club since they were in Tampa. Their dome away from home. Their dome away from home. Yep. And they was all over Manny Machado. I know. I, it's, it's adorable and disturbing all at the same time. It's just disturbing. I understand, you know, some kidding around and stuff like that, but. Two men acting that way to each other. No, that's adorbs. Okay. Um, and he he seemed to be walking around okay. He seemed to be getting around all right. Uh, do we have an update as far as any I'm not going to buy any of that walking around and looking okay because Manny looked okay when he like jumped out when Nelson Cruz hit a home run last year. So I was like, it's okay. He's fine. He's kicking. He's playing with Nelson. Everything's going to be fine. Are we that for the rest of the season? <laughs> well, speaking of timetables that we can't believe, Matt Weeders. I, I saw in the Baltimore Sun that they would, they said a reasonable time frame would be late May, early June. I don't even know if that was back to baseball or back to the Orioles. And frankly, I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know what to believe either. Besides, he is, you know, in expanding spring training a little bit more lately, which is a good sign. But I, I'm going with if he can get back by the All-Star break, I'd be surprised. I'm right there with you. All right. Do you want to go to the twat? Let's do it. This week on the Twitters first... We're going to do some sadness. This comes from Zach Wilch. You can follow him at Zamwee. And he says, thank God I'm a country boy. Played at an empty Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Yeah, that's pretty sad. The echoes emanating through Camden Yards. It's like 2007 all over again. Ow. <laughs> All right, that 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 reference is a little too soon, and and let's let's discuss what we can refer to as too soon. This tweet comes from uh, to us from Rock Kabako. Tweets at Mass and Rock, and he tweets SNL spelled at Amber Amber Theo Harris's name, uh, misspelled Amber Theo Harris's last name, but at least her legacy at Mass and Sideline Reporter lives on. Yeah, they used two R's instead of one R. Classic mistake for any rookie. Yeah. I gotta be honest, you know, I don't want to be oversensitive, but didn't really enjoy the SNL skit about the the game. Listen, if you're going to make fun of the Baltimore Orioles in the city of Baltimore, you need to be turning into this podcast and Baltimoreans. This is the only two outlets of being able to make fun of the Baltimore Orioles and the city of Baltimore. I'm sorry, everybody else, you're off limits. If you come into our territory, uh, I might throw a brick at your head. Stop it. <laughs> All right, let's move on to some uh, happier thoughts. This is something I think about every time. 
is every time that we get keys to the game from Mike Bordick and he, he wows us with his knowledge. Uh, this is a tweet from uh, Fox Sports San Diego tweets at Fox Sports SD. And it, the tweet is as follows. Score more runs than the Rockies. It's a screen grab of the keys to the games. And it says there are two keys to the two game. keys to the game. First, don't give up more. Uh, don't give up runs to the Rockies. Second. Score more runs than the Rockies. They actually came back the next day and did another one on top of this. It was exactly the same of score more runs than the Rockies. And it was Padres are 12-0 when they score more runs than their opponents. I love that. But you like those new age statistics, don't I, you? I do. It's literally what I think every time the keys of the game. How about not suck and suck a little bit less than your opponent? You know who else is you know locked in? And that's P. Gilbert with this uh, tweet regarding uh, Steve Molesky. It says, Amazing considering that this includes a game in which they were shut out. And Steve Molesky basically has been posting about how the Orioles have been mauling the ball with runners in scoring position, hitting for over 400. Um, it's just a really impressive show, especially like Pete points out, uh, for a game that they were completely shut out. Now, the reason that number stayed so high after that game that they were shut out was never really got anybody into scoring position during that game. Pretty poor game on Saturday. Um, this is kind of sad, and this has to be true, I guess, because Dave Cameron posts, um, you can find him at D Cameron FG. He's the managing editor for Fangrass. How bad must Jimmy Paredes' defense look in practice that Buck Showalter would prefer Steve Pierce there while Paredes DHs? Here's the deal. Jimmy Paredes' defense gave Steve Pierce a stomach bug. Mm, that's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Jake, we're coming out to a series against the New York Mets. Okay. And normally we don't hold that much animosity against the New York Mets, besides the whole 1969 situation. <laughs> but besides that, they're the lovable loser of New York. You kind of are like, okay, it, 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 it can't be that bad to root for. Frankly, I'm pulling for them to win the hearts and minds of New Yorkers. That's, I mean, that's fair, right? Yeah, but there was a tweet that came off from the Mets booth, and you can follow the Mets for whatever God knows reason you want to do that at Mets booth. And it says, Mets players could not identify the Beatles during the between innings name that track presentation on City Vision. Really? What? I'm going to declare war now. Oh, it's over. It's I over. demand a two-game sweep, and I want, to de- I want it to be demoralizing. Yes. This, this whole 18-7 to 7 business against Boston, it's going to look like chump change. We will bury them and their lack of musical knowledge. Those fools on the hill. <laughs> That's awful. Um, so this sounds good. This comes from our friend Dylan Atkinson at Orioles Uncensored. You can be following him at D Atkinson OU. Coming into today's game, Adam Jones is batting 373. After going 444 on Sunday's game, he's batting 402 so far this season. Look, you know, everybody keeps chanting MVP, but uh, does, does Major League Baseball do a player of the month thing? Is they, that, is they that do. a real thing? They do. Can it be anybody else in the AL? Mm, but they picked somebody else, so who? Nelson Cruz, I think it was. Get out of here with that. I think it was Nelson Cruz. <sighs> Just twist the knife yeah. a little bit. If you're going to lose, don't lose to that guy. And we're going to finalize the the Twitter with the, the zing of the week, and this comes from Matt Kremitzer. Uh, Matt posts at uh, Camden Depot all the time, and uh, he posts... The problem with the O's getting rid of Diaza is that they don't have any more draft picks to trade any possible deal. Ugh. Ouch. But I love it. Uh. Matt, well done. Um, Jake, Alejandro Diaz has been taking it from multiple fans lately of how poorly he's performing. Uh, you want to break down the offense a little bit and just kind of see what, what's been going on perhaps in the outfield? I don't know. Diaz's offense has been breaking down well enough, hasn't it? Walka, walka, walka. <laughs> I'm 
All right, Jake, there's been a lot of weirdness going on with the outfield this week. As we talked about, Steve Pierce got moved back into the lineup, but not into the outfield or the DH position. Oh, no, he got moved into second base. And the Orioles have had a run of several outfield combinations the past week. Wednesday and Friday's game started with left field Alejandro Diaz and right field Damon Young. Saturday showed up left field David Lowe and right fielder uh, Travis Snyder. And then Sunday, we came out with a brand new one with left fielder Travis Snyder and right fielder Delman Young back in there. <laughs> Jake, this platoon slash indecisiveness with the outfield is really its odd for Baltimore Orioles fans. And there's no way I would have expected such moves to be in place a month ago with Steve Pierce not getting a predominant amount of starts out in right field. But Jimmy Paredes has been hot, and as such, the entire lineup has become deconstructed because of it with Buck wanting to get Delman Young into the lineup, and the only way to do that has been putting him in right field. But I want to talk about the consistent one that is in our outfield right now, and that's the one in center fields. Like we talked about on the Twitter, Adam Jones has a 402 average and is just destroying the ball. 12 extra base hits so far this season, with five of those being home runs. But the consistency of his play is pretty much outperforming everyone in this team, and pretty much everyone in the AL, I think, in our opinion, Jake, is it possible that the Orioles might have a legitimate MVP candidate on their hand? Well, keep in mind, he has to do this for five more months. Yeah. All right, so I don't want to get too crazy. You, you know, you're always screaming at me, and rightly so, small sample size. Sample size! But uh, I think that uh, the numbers bear out an approach difference with Adam Jones, um, an approach difference that you can see at the plate in every at-bat. It's the fact that he's not swinging like a madman at the awful pitches anymore. And And when he does chase out of the zone— he usually hits it. He's being more selective, and even if he's swinging out of the zone, he's swinging and selecting pitches that are hittable. This more, you know, I tweeted out in jest a couple weeks ago. You know, who's this new patient Adam Jones? I like this guy. But my biggest, I don't want to call it complaint because I'm not, I'm not one of the guys that that beats on Adam Jones. You you get frustrated every every at bat where he swings like a madman, and then at the end of the season you're like, wow, he had a pretty pretty good year. But the thing is that the thing that that separates Adam Jones from being a very good player and a great player is what he's shown this month. Yeah, and it, and it's if he can continue even you know half of the of the plate discipline that he showed of the approach that he showed he looks like a man with a plan at every at bat. He looks like a guy when he gets behind the at bat isn't over the way we've seen in the past. And if he can harness even some of that. Yeah, I think that if he can continue that throughout the season, he's going to put on a show. I've been, like I said, very impressed with play discipline. Um, it's shown up both in his K percentage and his walk percentage this year. Mm-hmm. Just folks, you know, we always joked about in the past about Adam Jones not being a great walker, and I wouldn't say that's better, you know, amazing. But going from two point eight to five point two is pretty remarkable. But more importantly, going from nineteen point five K percentage to twelve point five K percentage is huge. The man is putting the ball into play and is allowing his power to dictate. Just a great performance. Jake, we've always talked about, you know, Babbitt, and Babbitt normally equals out to be around a 300. Adam Jones is a 317 Babbitt career hitter, and that makes sense being a pretty much a strong contact hitter. But Jake, in the past, for example, last year, great season for Adam Jones. Mm -hmm. Another great season. Yeah. 17.5% line drive percentage last year. Okay, not bad. Not great. 
This year, 29.9% line drive. That's the whole reason why his Babbitt this season is 417. Adam Jones is raking the ball. And even though he gets out in certain instances, it's normally right at someone and it's about to take off their head. So, I mean, Adam Jones is just amazing at the plate right now. And, and here's the thing where I think that what you said is absolutely correct. And it explains both what we're seeing and also I think speaks to the approach. But what I've seen uh, watching his at-bats is is the chases. You know, when he chases, he's chasing up and away in the zone balls that he can put into right field, balls that he can drive, balls that because of his, uh, you know, uh, quick swing, he can yank up the middle instead of the low and away slider. Uh, I, I don't feel like he's any less of an aggressive hitter. I just think that he's hitting the crap out of the balls that are hittable. I totally agree with you. In fact, if you look at his plate discipline for his outside swings, which have always been a very aggressive mm-hmm. player. It's above 40% once again. Um, but Jake, his contact percentage this year has gone up from 74.5% last year to 81.9%. So every single time he swings, 82% of the time he's making contact with it. Holy cow. That's pretty unbelievable. Um, he's also dropped his swinging strike percentage down too, so which means he's whiffing less as well from 14% down to 10.4%. Just a really... A person that's seen the ball really well, and when he's making contact with it, he's making really good contact with it. Now, you mentioned his BABIP is up over 400, but 417, 419, something yeah. like that. Um, obviously, that's not sustainable, right? This is not a guy that's going to hit 400 this year. If he keeps hitting the ball 29% of the time with a lot of drives, <laughs> it's going to stay up. But theoretically, yeah, it's gonna, they're going to have to – the pitchers will adapt to him to a certain regard – so that's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not taking anything away, and I hope he rides that all the way through. Here's my question for you. You ask, is this guy going to be an MVP caliber uh, player this year? What happens when he falters? What happens when he gets cold? What happens when pitchers make an adjustment, whatever it is? I think it's interesting because he said something on a post-game show. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up two post-game shows. He said, he said something to the effect of, yeah, I was having a really, uh, really great series. Um, when I came home, it was something Cool Ball had said to me. You know, just a quick little reminder, yep. and he and he wouldn't reveal what that was. A few weeks later, what he said uh, was that you know, uh, Cool Ball said to me a little while ago, "Got to watch the watch the seams for the spin or something. Got to recognize the spin or something yeah. like that." And so, uh, and he's also made comments about hitting the fastball. You know, making yep. the pitchers throw the fastball and hitting the fastball. And uh, clearly, he's not very good at hitting the slider low away. But Adam Jones can hit a fastball. And uh, I think that if he can continue to get himself in accounts where the fastball is coming, I don't have any doubts that he's going to hit it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, I like to look at pitch values per 100 mm-hmm. to see how yep. players do um, versus certain pitches. So, for example, Adam Jones is blowing the cover off the ball in terms of um, forcing fastballs. Um, but the one pitch that he's absolutely destroying lately is cutters and splitters and sinkers. Slider, eh, it's a, it's above average. Um, and serves the curveball to us in regard, but some of those off-speed fastballs that people are throwing, he is demolishing them in the process. So, uh, like I said, I like the aspect of I'd rather you know Adam Jones be aggressive, but if you're going to be aggressive and you're going to make contact, uh, I'm all for that. And Adam Jones is on fire. Swing away, baby, swing away. Yeah, and as locked in as it is, eventually, you know, this 400 average is going to come down. I'm just hoping that he will be able to take the approach to become a 300 hitter. Well, you know? I mean, and, and again, even if it comes down, even if he can stay near someone like an Andrew McCutcheon or mm-hmm. a Mike Trout, who's normally at like 340 to 350 Babbitt, 
that's perfectly legitimate if he continues to be a line drive hitter. He doesn't need to go up there and try to hit that six-run home run. Just get on base and make contact with the ball. And again, his walk rate doesn't have to be high. Nope. You know, Especially for number three, number four hitter. Right. We're not asking for a 10%. I don't, I don't care about on-base percentage. Right. I just want you to make contact with the ball. Hit the F out of the ball, right. and wherever it lands, we'll deal with right. it. Even if you get out, I don't care, as long as you try to put the ball into play. And the other thing is, again, productive outs. And, and this lineup, when it's at its best, does that handing the baton thing, right? Right. So that the hope is, you know, to answer your original question, can this be an MVP quality player? I really think he can. At the beginning of the season, when we do it, did our stupid predictions, stupid predictions. This is the season that's going to basically Adam Jones is going to start to regress. No, I said this would be the last great, oh, the last great, the last season. great season okay. from Adam Jones. However, from, with what I'm seeing, I'm uh, I'm beginning well, to think I was more wrong than usual. Yeah. Um, but talking about people that are being aggressive at the plate, um, one person that's been aggressive at the plate is Alejandro Diaza, and there's been a lot of discontent with the corner outfield positions as of late. Um. It certainly feels like a lot of casual fans are um, missing the steadiness out there on right field, especially with Nick Marquez no longer out there. I went through and looked at Nick Marquez's number since going to Atlanta. 394 on base percentage, but only three extra base hits on the entire season. All of them have been doubles. He's worth like a 111 weighted runs created plus right now, so he's definitely above average. However, that lack of extra base hits has to be of concern. Now in comparison, the right field platoon for the Orioles, 324 on base percentage, 95 rating runs created plus, but 11 extra base hits with three being home runs. You know, Jake, I look at both of those players and I say to myself, I'd rather actually take the right field platoon that we've been throwing out there and be able to get some of those extra base and home runs. Um, and I'm not really so much concerned of it. I think it's more of a situation of we just don't have a great leadoff hitter right now. And I think the team is going to, is struggling to find that leadoff hitter right now going forward. Well, I mean, you're right on so many levels here. Let me let me try to unpack what you just said. Sure. First of all, I, I'm you know I'm guilty, and you certainly are also of being baseball romantics, and that comes from I still have my Nick Marquez jersey because I have a feeling like he's going to come back, and there's no way that's ever going to happen. But I'm like, but what if he comes back? We attach, so I don't want to throw it away. We attach our hearts to these players, and we just you know we can't do it. You know, yes. Nick, Nick Marquez is a great part of the Orioles' past but we need to get over it. Um, and, and I know that you of all people are able to kind of separate your heart from what you see with your eyes and the facts. Um, but here's the other thing. Nick Except Mar- when I cry at ALCS game number two. <laughs> the oh, darkness, my old friend. The production that Nick Marquez is providing is also way more expensive than that platoon that you mentioned. And the savings that we are we are getting with that platoon, which is unremarkable and yet still better, is going to enable this club to do greater things. All right, let's get into it. The leadoff position is a hole. We've yeah. had we've had two players try to fill it. Sure, we've had Alejandro Diaza. Yep, and we've also had uh, Cabrera. Yep. Not really. David Lowe also popped in there on occasion too. You don't say that name on this podcast. Okay. Sorry, I'm down. You're not going to like my segue. Oh lord! <laughs> oh lord! <laughs> well, let's let's talk about it then. Let's let's get the the big one out of the way. Diaza. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way he can be a leadoff hitter right now. He has like a thirty percentage K percentage. There's just no way. You know, when he first started off the season, I was like, oh, he's taking a lot of pitches. He's getting strikeouts, but he's taking a lot of pitches. So maybe that's a good sign. And he was my good for the first week, but I mean, it seems like it was a lucky variance at this point. Yes, it does. So Alejandro Diaza looks. Fairly lost at the plate. 
he should be no higher than, let me think, ninth in this lineup. He also looks like the guy that the White Sox had, and we turned into something good. Yep. Yep. Sprinkled some magic on him for a month or so or and a half and said, oh, look, we got something good here. And, you know, for $5 million, I still think he has value as a platoon player. I am so with you on that front. But he's not our everyday. Nope, he's not an everyday player. And there's a lot of people who are like, oh, he's going to come back this year. He can hit it to all fields. And it's like, well, history shows that he never has. So why do you think he's going to be able to hit all fields? Well, he did it for the two, three weeks that he was with the Orioles last year. And it's like, yeah, but David Lowe hit a home run just recently, too. It's It happens. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Having witnessed Clinchmas in person, yes. it's hard to wipe out that triple that he hit yeah. from your collective memory. It's, it's hard to wipe that out of your memory. Yeah. Baseball romantic, you. I can't help it. But I guess the question is, Jake, you know, you've got this platoon situation with Snyder and Diazza and Dumb and Young and David Lowe. There just seems to be, I don't know, this flux. And something's got to change here to a certain regard. Jake, how do the Orioles go about changing it, especially now that they're getting J.J. Hardy back and Ryan Flaherty back? Someone is going to have to start losing time. Well, I I think there are two issues that you brought up that are that are – they go hand in hand. Yeah. The first is that we've got a leadoff hitter problem. The second is that we have a roster crunch. Let's talk roster crunch. All Let's, right. I think, honestly, you want to talk about leadoff hitter? We can talk about it at a later time. But right now, everything that I'm seeing, Manny Machado should be the leadoff hitter for this team. Yeah. And there was actually a really great, I'm going to shock you. Yeah. There's a really great article on Fangraphs written by Jeff Sullivan. Yeah. Good friend of the Love program. Love Jeff Sullivan. Um, talking about Manny Machado, talking about his approach to the plate talking about the differences in what he's he's been and what he is right now and again goes back to selectivity at the plate and and what he's able to do this year i agree that right now he's probably our best option for leadoff let's table that right now and come back maybe we can get jeff on like in a future show and just talk about selectivity with the baltimore Orioles in the future but i want to talk outfield all right all right you you, you asked me about the crunch absolutely look i think david lowe's got to go I agree. I, I think he offers almost nothing to this club. Wait, you said David Lowe? Yeah. What? David Lowe. Oh, Jake, 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 Jake. He's got to go. Jake, Jake, Jake. He offers almost nothing to this Jake, club. Jake, 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 All right, make your case for David Lowe. I want to hear it. All right, David Lowe is not as... I know how much you hate David Lowe, but... I'm, I don't hate him. I just hate his play in the field. Okay, but David Lowe, you know, so far in the season, isn't as bad offensively as you would think. Only 15 plate appearances, of course, but still... Not as bad as you would think, Jake. If he's only had 15 plate appearances, he's exactly as bad as I think. Jake, he has a 132 weighted runs created plus <laughs> in 15 plate appearances. But, I mean, even going back into previous seasons, in 2013 with the Royals, 97 weighted runs created plus. In 2014 with the Orioles, 197 plate appearances, 95 weighted runs created plus. He's been an okay offensive performance. I think the big situation is... He doesn't hit with a lot of power. And it's kind of a boring slap hitter, just like Nick Marquegas. And I have no issue with that because David Lowe is a much better defensive option in terms of range than Nick Marquegas is. So I would put David Lowe in right field or in left field in a heartbeat against right-hand pitching. I would never put him against left-hand pitching because he's god-awful. But I would put him against right-handed pitching or left-handed pitch, or right-handed pitching fairly often. Here's the thing. He's boring, though. No, it's it's not that he's boring. Um, this lineup can rake. Yes. Right? This lineup can rake, and I feel that because it can rake, it can withstand certain deficiencies in defense. 
Now, the Orioles are supposedly a great defensive team, even though its platinum-gloved star Manny Machado is, is all sorts of errors. They're fielding Delman Young in right field sure. on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be a great defensive club at every position because they're scoring runs. Right. And we're going to talk about it a little bit later. Spoiler alert. The pitching is settled down. Yeah. I think we can afford to have the not perfect solution at every position. And guys like the Blade, who are all glove, no hit, don't have as much a role on this Orioles club, in my opinion. I agree with you to a certain regard, but I think if you look at Alejandro Diaz, for example, and you look at his stats, he looks like a very platoonish type player. And if you look at Alejandro Diaz and David Lowe, they both scream, that's the same gosh darn player, except one's under club control for multiple years and the other one's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Why wouldn't I keep David Lowe, who's going to be dirt cheap, who the Orioles already have kind of instigated and said, hey, yeah, we're not going to be able to pay people because, you know, things are going to get tight. I'd rather have Alejandro Diaz gone and have David Lowe be under club control and at least you've got a fourth outfielder ready to go in case the Daryl Alvarez experiment doesn't work out. Scott, you've bested me. You win that argument in the fact that if if one of them's got to go, I would much rather be Diaz. However, I don't think it's going to happen because of the yep, money. I totally agree with you about that. So in a, in a perfect world, I would say Diaz has got to be the guy that got, that has to go. In the real world, I think Lowe has to be the guy that's got to go. Um, I just don't think that he's providing anything in in that world. Um, I, and I, I think, don't think Buck likes him. No, no, and, and I I also think that. Which scares me, too. If Buck doesn't like him, why? Why does he not like him? We talk about the roster crunch. We're getting two infielders back. We're getting Hardy. We're getting uh, Flaherty back. If one of the outfielders goes, Cabrera and Flaherty can play the corner outfielders, uh, outfield positions. In, and, a, in an emergency situation, and it sure. Does not, and it does not present as much of a, a roster crunch, in my opinion. No, I, I would agree with you about that. Like I said, I just see the situation coming down to this whole roster crunches. Alejandro Diaz or David Lowe pick between the two. In fact, when they signed Alejandro or traded for Alejandro Diaz last year in August, I was like, oh, David Lowe's done. That basically is the death in the coffin. But now looking back on it now, I'm like, uh, maybe maybe I, I preemptively called that death. And we can, we can both uh, agree that in the stead of uh, Alejandro Diaz, Manny Machado should be the uh, leadoff hitter. Yes, but we're going to table that for another time. And Delvin Young needs to get out of outfield as soon as possible. Amen. Yes. All right. Well, with that, let's go into a slightly different topic. Let's go and talk about the events this past week in Baltimore, uh, specifically at Camden Yards. And let's talk about the future going forward. Last Wednesday, the Orioles played a game in front of an announced crowd of zero. The event marked dubious Major League history and drew national attention. We say announced crowd because there were people present. An abnormally large number of press credentials were requested for this game, and uh, the usual complement of scouts were sprinkled amongst the lower bowl. 
The game ended in a two-hour, three-minute, eight-to-two spanking of the White Sox and also provided SNL uh, fodder to poke fun at the situation in Baltimore without looking like total dicks. Almost worked. It almost worked. It almost worked. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, spelling Amber Theo Harris's name correctly may have helped. And putting Scarlett Johansson as Amber Theo Harris. Ka-ching! <laughs> but the game did not go unwitnessed. Gary Thorne and Jim Palmer called the game for a Masson, and what a treat that was. But then there were some folks that showed up to cheer on the team from just outside the gates, and we caught up with one such fan, and he joins us here on Bird's Eye View. Ryan Blake runs the Orioles fans' problem Twitter handle, and you may recognize his tweets as, well, sometimes off-color, sometimes incredibly passionate, but always orange and black. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Now, uh, you, you were there uh, standing outside the gates uh, during the game where no one was supposed to be. Uh, let me ask you, what made you want to go there and stand out of, outside of the stadium and yell at the Orioles? Uh, you know, it was it was kind of a spontaneous decision that morning, actually. I, um, you know, I, I thought about going down. I didn't know what uh, security would like would be like around the stadium. But, uh, I, you know, I texted a few buddies to see if anybody was interested in going, and, uh, some people were, but not available. But you know, I was I was keeping tabs on my Twitter feed and you know tweeting a couple things out about it. And uh, it it seemed like there were going to be a decent amount of people going down. And uh, it turns out there, I guess at the peak, people were coming and going because Pickles was open. But uh, I think at the peak we had about you know 50, maybe 60 people out there. And uh, you know, I just I just wanted to go support my team. You know, I figured uh, there would be some some media attention there, and you know, I just wanted to prove that you know Baltimore really is uh, you know one of the greatest cities, and we've got the best fans. Okay, and, and I think that's a great point. It comes into my segue from my next question. You know, the Orioles are a big part of, you know, our lives. I know he's, the Orioles are a big part of your life. But, you know, yeah. if, for the city of Baltimore, how important is it and was it for have that Orioles game be played in Baltimore? And how, is it, how much important is it going to be for that game next be played in Baltimore on May 11th? Uh, you know, I think it's huge. Um, you know, it was, it was disappointing that, you know, the events in the city – you know, made us postpone the first two games, Monday and Tuesday. I was actually in the ballpark on Monday before they postponed it. I got there for batting practice. And um, Actually, can I stop you, you right know, there and just ask you, like, what was the mood in the stadium going into the stadium and, like, standing in the stadium being like, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? Because obviously people are checking through social media and looking at things that are occurring. There had to be a little bit of, a like, a murmur going through the stadium. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I got there about 5 o'clock when gates opened, and, uh, you know, there were, there were a few hundred people in there. And, um, you know, I had family members, you know, I was there and they were texting me to come home and I was saying, you know, in all honesty, I'm safer inside the stadium mm-hmm. than I would be if I walked out. But, um, I parked right by the stadium. I parked in the A annex lot, which is right across the, uh, right across the street. And, um, you know, it was, it, you know, you could tell it was, it was a different feel that night. Um, you know, people were checking their phones and seeing what was going on and of course keeping tabs on, you know, the rioters and protesters and seeing where they were moving throughout the city. And, um, but, you know, I, I never felt any danger. Um, you know, there wasn't much going on outside the stadium, but I think it was the right decision to call the game Monday night. And certainly that, that was over by the time, um, Wednesday's game was played. I'm curious because before that game, the, the zero attendance game, there was a lot of discussion as to whether or not showing up outside the stadium would be an inconvenience to the police and the national guard. And if there was any, uh, concern for safety of the people that were going to be there and whether it would draw attention from where it needed to be. Uh, what did right. you think about that conversation, uh, before you showed up? Um, well, I had talked to uh, a friend through Twitter who uh, knew a Baltimore police officer who was down by the stadium and said that um, they were using Gate A as a staging area. And as far as they were aware, 
um, you know, it would, it would be safe around the stadium. And I, you know, I, I made sure I asked, you know, if, if we were to have, you know, a group of fans down there, would we be turned away Would the police, you know, tell us not to, you know, not to do that. And, uh, he said we should be fine. So, um, that's when I realized, you know, that safety would be okay. Um, you know, they would have a, you know, a decent police presence outside the stadium. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was great for people to show up. I think, you know, people showing up to that game and like you said, there was about 50 of them, although uh, we've heard vastly exaggerated numbers past that 50 people. But, uh, you know, it was really mm-hmm. interesting looking at the post game thing, uh, conferences and stuff like that, because a lot of the Orioles players and even some of the managers made mention of saying, hey, we were able to hear people when that home run was hit or when that ball was put into play. We were able to hear the O during the national anthem. And I think that's a big part of it. It's like it was that game was a really eerie situation. But being able to hear those fans out there. I think made it somewhat of a semblance of an of a as normal of a baseball game as you could make it. Um, what did you think about the fans' presence out there, and what statement did you think it made um, with the fifty or so fans that were out there? I thought it was great. You know, the uh, like you mentioned after the game, you know, players and managers commented that they could hear us, and you know that we we definitely made ourselves known that we were out there. And um, you know, I think it, it was great for the players. You know, Davis's home run in the first inning threw on bomb. We got we went crazy out there. And, uh, you know, they were fans starting cheers, the O-R-I-O-L-E-S, the Let's Go O's. And, uh, you know, it may not have been a huge number of us, but we, we definitely made ourselves heard. And we thought it was important for the players to know that we were out there cheering them on. You know, I think that this game is going to have a similar effect of twenty-one thirty-one. If you talk to anyone of a certain age, uh, they'll tell you they were there in the ballpark that night. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they had a standing room only ticket. They saw 2131 in person. I, I bet you, you know, 50 to 60 people is going to turn into, you know, 5, 10, 15,000 people. It'll be like the Cowrick and Statue game from right. a few years ago, being like, oh, yeah, I was at that <laughs> game. And it's like, well, you know, there can't be that many people because it was a sellout. But at the same point, you talk to certain people and they're like, yeah, I went to that game. And it's like, oh, I don't remember seeing you there. So. <laughs> Right, <laughs> it's a it's a select few. Let me ask you: uh, Is there anything that you would have liked to have gone differently? Maybe something you could have done, or something somebody else could have done. How how would the experience have have improved? Um, as far as being outside the stadium, yeah, or just the whole um, the whole day. I mean, being locked out. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I certainly understand the reason behind it. Um, although I didn't necessarily agree with, you know, locking the fans out of the stadium, I, it, it did make sense in terms of, you know, keeping the police, you know, where they needed to be rather than, you know, 35,000 or however many we would have gotten that night. Um, but, you know, it was, it was fun. And as far as the feel outside the stadium, I don't think I would change much. Um, you know, out in left field was, you know, the only place you can see home plate from an outside. I, I wasn't sure where people would congregate. I didn't know if we would be, um, you know, outside closer to home plate where they'd be able to hear us better or, uh, you know, but out in left field, it was fine. There were a few security guards out there and, you know, cameras and microphones and people were being interviewed. And it was, it was a good feel, you know, it, despite what was going on, you know, within miles of us, you know, it was, it was nice to, to get together as a group of fans and, you know, support the guys. I think it was the, the whole situation was handled as best as it can be. The only thing that I think yeah. would have been really cool was that, you know, at the very end of the game in the ninth inning or so, you know, they could have opened up the picnic area and allowed the fans to basically congregate right at this at the top of the bullpen or also just open Utah Street up since Utah Street's always open to the public and just let the fans come onto Utah Street and cheer on the Orioles. I think that would have been a cool little moment of being like, hey, yeah, the game was close to the fans, but we're trying to let the fans be as much of a part of this game as possible. Uh, I mean, I mean, to a certain aspect, I'm sure that it was the police basically said, no, there can't be any restrictions. 
But I think it would have been cool from that romanticism, which is baseball to a certain regard. I think so too. And, you know, I, I agree that, you know, maybe they could have opened up Utah street and, uh, I know Masson tweeted out a picture of Davis's home run, just kind of sitting there outside yeah. the bathroom. And, um, but there were a good amount of people out there. And I think I agree, you know, what you said, maybe later in the game, opening up the picnic area, Utah street. Um, I think had they done that earlier, people would have said, you know, Oh, gates are open. People can come in. And I think that yep. would have brought a lot more people down there. That's than a good they point. Wanted. Yeah, that, so, um, it's not like you know you've got any major like universities down there or anything like that where people can just be yeah, like, I'm going to leave work right, right now and go to the game. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And you know when I when I got down there, actually, parking was my biggest concern. I uh, I didn't know what kind of lots would be open, and I actually asked if I'd be able to pay to park there. But I ended up finding a side street right off Pickles, and uh, I had to drive around for a minute. And unfortunately, I was a little late for to yell O during the national anthem. But uh, I got there around the bottom of the first, and you know there were people out there, and they were loud. We'll we'll forgive you for your tardiness. Um, <laughs> last question we've got for you: uh, What yeah. do you, what do you think of the uh, the reopening day idea? I'm excited for it. I'll definitely be there. Um, I think it'd be great to have a nice turnout and uh, you know show the city what we're made of. And the Baltimore really does have the best fans in baseball. Um, I know people are, are plugging that on Facebook and Twitter, and you know trying to get retweets from from prominent people out there. Uh, I know Jason Lockenfora is uh, is big on that and trying to you know spread the word on that. And I think it'd be great if we got a, a crowd, you know, even if we can't sell it out, even a crowd of, you know, 35, 40,000 would be awesome for that. Yeah, especially and, on a uh, Monday That night. would mean a lot to the players. It would mean a lot to the city. And it would really show people what we're made of. Well, uh, parting thought, and I'd, I'd like you to, to, you know, if you can comment on it now, great. If not, I'd like you to think about it and use your uh, use your Twitter presence to, to work on it. I, I'm curious as to what happens after reopening day and what the reopening day movement means moving forward. And how it can be a uh, a force for good uh, for for the team for the city moving forward. After reopening day happens, I'm sure there will be a boisterous, you know, fantastic Baltimore enthused crowd. What happens on May 12th and May 13th and throughout the rest of the summer and and throughout you know the rest of the year in Baltimore? Uh, is there any way that we can use this day, this uh, excitement for the Orioles, to harness that uh, positive energy for the city? I think we can certainly do our best. Um, you know, I have to be honest, I'm nervous about our attendance going forward. I've heard, you know, mumblings of people saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to try my best to avoid the city for as long as I can. You know, I don't, I don't feel safe going down there. Um, but I do feel like we're definitely going in the right direction. And once, you know, all the problems down there start to clear up and they, they have over the last few days, um, you know, I think it'll become safer and safer to be down there. And, um, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, keep the attendance numbers at a, at a respectable level. Um, but, you know, in terms of after reopening day, I think it'd be great to have, you know, as many people down there as we can, because, you know, in, in a time like this, when our city's getting a lot, a lot of negative national attention, it'd be nice to, you know, take a step in the right direction. Well, Ryan, you know, thanks for coming on the show and talking to us about the, you know, a really cool experience for you and a bunch of, bunch of fans down there for on Wednesday's game. Um, for mm -hmm. anybody that wants to follow Ryan, you should be following him for at Orioles fan probs. It's P R O B Z. Um, Ryan is great on uh, on the Twitter. Uh, he rivals our mastery of the 140 characters, in my opinion. <laughs> Ryan, is there anything well, else? Guys, I, anything else going on? That? Is there anything else going on with you uh, in the future? Any events you're planning to go to besides uh, reopening day or anything like that? Um, well, I've, I've got a 29 game plan, so I'm I'm down there as cool. often as I can. Um, so you know, it's it's great to have people down there as, as always. Um, uh, if you don't mind me plugging something real quick, Absolutely. Actually, I'm a blogger for Utah Street Report, and uh, I'm sure you know lots of listeners know about them. 
And uh, we have a contest going on. I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. Uh, it's Baltimore Drought Bracketology, where we're trying to crown the face of the Orioles from the losing season. Yep. And uh, we're in the championship right now. It's Brian Roberts versus Melvin Mora. I've so, heard of those uh, guys. You know, if, if fans head over to utahstreetreport.com, we also have part of it going on at Orioles Uncensored. You can vote, you know, once on each site if you'd like. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get some numbers there. And I think uh, Roberts has a pretty decent lead right now, but, uh, you know, anything's possible. I think voting's going to end in the next couple of days. Derek and me are working very hard to get Melvin Moore back in the lead. I would love that, to be honest with you. <laughs> Ryan, I'm a, if, I'm, a, I'm a big Moore proponent. Yes. If you're going to plug stuff on the show, I, I don't think it's possible for you to find uh, dearer friends of the program than Utah Street Report and Orioles Uncensored, so we'll allow it. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> All right, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us, and hey, uh, enjoy the rest of the season. All right, thanks a lot, fellas. Well, Scott, we talked about reopening day, and there's no better way to do it than to talk to uh, some of the guys that were behind it. So uh, at this point, we thought we would talk to Sam Angel, uh, who is, is the person that came up with the, the bright idea for this event. Uh, so Sam, thank you so much for joining us here on Bird's Eye View. Let me, uh, let me ask you this. Where did, uh, where did the idea for reopening day come from? Where did it originate? Well, um, to be honest, I mean, it started when the uh, announcement came out about the game time changes and everything and moving the series to Tampa Bay. Uh, and my first reaction as an, as an Orioles fan was one of annoyance, to say the least, um, that we were going to be losing out on three home games, you know, four if you want to count the uh, the closed game um, last Wednesday. And um, to be honest, pretty quickly, I sort of realized how stupid it was of me to be upset about that sort of thing, especially in the face of everything going on in Baltimore. Um, so, you know, I, I just sort of, I don't know where it came from, but I just sort of had the idea that, you know, we needed to get the ballpark packed for the first home game back. And I looked at it and it was a Monday, which is traditionally opening day. Um, granted this year, the home opener was a Friday. Um, but usually the Orioles are opening at home on a Monday, and which is who we played on opening day. And I was at that game. It, it didn't go well on the field. So I thought, you know, what better chance for a take two? Um, get everybody out of the ballpark wearing orange and, and supporting the team and let, letting them know that we're still here for them. All right. So it's a great idea. You know, it's perfect because, again, opening day was also kind of a train wreck with uh, how the game turned out <laughs> and with the damp weather down here in Baltimore. So what are the goals mm. for reopening day um, that you see going forward for this this day? What, what is your perfect scenario? Well, the perfect scenario is that the ballpark is just uh, you know a wash in orange. I mean, everybody there wearing orange and you know really filling the place up. Um, we want people to treat it as much like an opening day as they can, and that is from you know the enthusiasm and the optimism that people bring to a normal opening day to getting to the ballpark area as early as they can. Um, supporting the businesses that are down there, uh, you know, going to the bars and the restaurants around and, and, and spending some time down there at the ballpark, you know, pretty much for the first pitch. Um, you always see a ballpark that's, that's pretty much filled um, before the game starts on opening day, and you don't necessarily see that the rest of the season. But I think that it would be a great thing if we could show the team as they run out of the dugout for the top of the first inning that, that – you know, forty five, forty six thousand people are there. Well, you, you say that this is so much, uh, as much rather, about the businesses outside of Camden Yards. It, it's about the businesses mm -hmm. in Baltimore that are obviously struggling right now. Uh, let me let me ask you. Let, let's get a little personal here. What are you uh, going to be doing? Uh, you know, on reopening day, what do you encourage folks to do uh, on that day? 
Well, to be honest, I'm going to be trying to get around a little bit more than I normally do. Um, I, when I go to a ballpark or when I go to a ball game, I usually end up in the pickles sliders area, you know, and spend where the game starts. And then, uh, you know, I, I often will miss first pitch myself, to be honest. I'm going to certainly make the stops at those places, but I want to make sure that I'm getting around to a bunch of the different uh, bars and restaurants in the area, you know, Camden pub and, uh, Pratt street ale house, um, Frank's and Nick's, uh, you know, anything that I can get to, I'm, I'm going to spend the whole day uh, down in the Camden Yards area, uh, just, you know, letting people know that that they have support and they have uh, business that is going to be back into the city. Um, you know, we really are trying to, to stimulate some business for those establishments that lost, you know, a little bit of their revenue with the Orioles going out of town. And then, of course, with the, the protests and the riots themselves. Um so far, we've had a lot of success. We're, we're trying to actually, you know, let these businesses know about the thing in advance, and um, you know, see what they can do to help promote it themselves, and um, and go from there. We've had a lot of success with that so far. I mean, Jake, you and I both know plenty of bartenders down in that area, and opening day is always a huge day for them, not just for the businesses, but for the actual workers that are down there. And those workers that are out there, um, you know, have lost a ton of money not being able to work late nights and their bars basically getting shut down. So um, I, one question I had for you was, you know, like you said, the event has been mentioned by a lot of folks, um, but how cool has it been to see the event mentioned on like things like Masson and by like Jim Palmer and stuff like that? Oh, it's been great. I mean, uh, we've heard Jim Hunter mention it on, yep. uh, on, on Masson. I think every game that they played down in Tampa, he mentioned it uh, at least once. Um but yeah, no, definitely, definitely a personal highlight of this was I think it was less than 24 hours in to having created the event that Jim Palmer was tweeting about it, and um, you know, I mean, you see all the time that, that celebrities will retweet something for a good cause, and and that's fine. But he was sort of going out of his, out of his way to actually, you know, write his own tweets and encourage other people to tweet about it, like Josh Charles, Joan Jett. Um, and that was just like that was a moment where I stepped back and said like wow you know what what did we actually do here and we haven't really done anything yet but that was that was really cool. Well, I, I think the the real beauty of this situation is that it, it it was the spark of an idea that got people thinking about what do we do here you know how do we respond to a, a really awful situation how do we you know show our support how do we show our solidarity how do we do good for others I, I'm curious and, and you know maybe this is an unfair question. I'm curious what happens after reopening day. You know, I'm interested to see what happens on the 12th of May mm-hmm. and, you know, in June and the rest of the season. If reopening day goes well, I mean, is there any hope that, you know, the organization such as it, such that it is, you know, can help build this momentum in other days in the, you know, post-riot Baltimore? That by winning. I mean, that's <laughs> that's all they have to do, you know, to, to make Baltimore – invested in them uh, for the rest of the year and then hopefully beyond um you know been an organization that's brought baltimore together one way or another for for more than 60 years and they do a ton in the community as it is um so i mean like i said in the beginning part of my motivation was really just to show show the orioles themselves that that they still have the support of the community not necessarily the other way around um but I mean, obviously, if if they want to get involved in a real way, uh, that would be an incredible gesture, and 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 we would certainly welcome it. Well, like I said, we think it's a great event. Um, we're going to be out there for the eleventh, along with the throngs of fans out there on the internet that have joined this cause as well. 
Uh, Sam, can you tell us where we can find information about reopening day and some of the uh, festivities and events uh, that are planned for that day? Sure. Yeah, we have uh, an event page set up on Facebook. And um, so you can go to Facebook and just type in reopening day and you ought to be able to find it there. Reopeningday.com, which will just direct you straight to the Facebook event. Uh, We're going to keep that up to date with, um, you know, things such as links to this podcast, uh, ways that people can find out about the event. That's a terrible Um, idea, but continue. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're also going to make sure that there are uh, links to all of the the bars and restaurants in the area that have signed on to participate. Um, We're hoping down the line to get something set up in terms of maybe a food drive. Um, We're still working on that right now, but... um, you know, if we do get that set up, we'll have all the details there. People can also visit uh, the Twitter page, which is just the handle at Reopening Day, keeping everything pretty simple here. Um, and that'll obviously be updating throughout the week uh, with all the information that we can provide. That's awesome. Like I said, we're looking forward to it, and we will be tipping our bartenders very well on that given day. So, Sam, yeah. thanks, thanks for coming on the show. And like I said, good luck for uh, on May 11th. And uh we we'll look forward to going down to the park with you and uh, celebrating a great day. And if there's any news and notes, make yeah. sure you tweet it at us. Make sure you have Facebook us, whatever it is that you need to do, because we'd like to make sure that we get it out in front of as many people as possible. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your support, and uh, hopefully we run into each other down there. appreciate it. Sounds good, Sam. Thanks for coming on the show. When it comes to twist, oh, geez. I Elvis, I need another small, beer. Oh, baby. Should do swing when it comes to twisting. I just gotta keep insisting on daddy. You are the king, baby. You got me beat up and down, inside out, and across. Yeah, it was. I was the boss this week, Jake. Uh, Jake, win probability Audi was the stat that we picked, and now I'm leading the series with Zach Britton out WPAing Manny Machado last week. Britton beat Manny Machado 0.10 to 0.07. Look, look, I don't want this to be misconstrued. This is not sour grapes. You beat me fair and square. I did. Your player outperformed my player when it comes to WPA, but... Can I just admit to being really surprised? I was very surprised, too. Manny Machado had a great week, in my opinion, I, offensively. I, I watched the games, and I was like, I'm killing him. Kill him. I'm, I'm way ahead. There's way no ahead. There's way. There's no chance. And then I pulled back the curtain desk. I was like, actually. That's like, crazy. Well, and again, you look at the game. Burton came in this week. It was Wednesday's game, which he got nothing for. It was like a zero right. WPA. But yesterday's game on Sunday... Coming in in that eighth inning was enough to fuel him to get a pretty decent amount of win probability in one game. You know what this tells me? What's that? The way this is weighted towards pitchers. Sure. It finally makes everything make sense that Scott Feldman got paid $10 million a year to pitch. I would, yeah, I mean, you're right to a certain regard. Is it definitely exemplifies pitchers, but also exemplifies bullpen players pretty mm-hmm. heavily, too. Um, it also shows that position players eventually balance themselves out. So you have to be really good over a long time to have a really good WPA, whereas most players balance themselves out over time because they have a good game and then they have a David Lowe kind of game. Well, again, no sour grapes, but I will say, wow, very surprised the way that worked out. Now, if we look at neutral context wins, Manny Machado, best person on the team. If we look at 
wins because of leverage? Zach Bridget. So you're telling me close, but no cigar. I'm telling you, you might want to do some more research next time. <laughs> look, look, I, I've been trying so hard to meet you where you are this season. I've been, I've been doing my homework for the advanced metrics. Every week I, I come prepared. I, I look, you know, I research. I think hard about what we're going to talk about. But it's still not good enough, Scott. And that's why I've dumbified it down this week for you. That's what I like to hear. So, Jake, this week's category for Fantasy Boss is going to be extra base hits. What? Look, we were just talking about it in the outfield segment, about how our outfielders are hitting more extra base hits compared to, like, a uh, Nick Markakis. I think it's apropos that we go back to a basic 1900 stat Look, and go to extra base hits. You've got me reading fan graphs. I am researching uh, advanced metrics, and you now you're going to bring me to extra base hits. I am going to bring you to extra base hits, and you get to pick first, Scott. I have no choice. You you have you have forced my hand. Okay. Last week I did not want to pick this player because I did not want to jinx him. I wanted never be able to. I wanted no part of being uh, partially responsible for bringing the downfall of this particular player and the rest of the Orioles offense. So you're going to pick him right before we go to New York to play the Mets and the Yankees. You're darn tootin' because if that's what stands between you and a three to one lead, Scott, you leave me no choice. I'm going to go with Adam Jones. Well, Jake has officially cursed Adam Jones and uh, now we will lose all our games to the Mets and the Yankees. Jake, I'm going to go with a completely different pick. Uh, I've, there's two people that I've thought of. Manny Machado was one because he's mm-hmm. been slapping the ball all over the place, and I think he's but in 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 context uh, free, in, right? In context free situations. Um, but I'm gonna go with someone else, um, someone that has a little bit more power than Manny Machado. And when he hits the ball, it goes a long way. Problem is, he has a hard time hitting the ball sometimes. I'm going with Crush Davis. Crush Davis for extra base hits. I think he's gonna. Uh, lay some wood down in New York and in, uh, at the Mets this this week. All right. This is usually the the area of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so forgive me. I'm going to jump the gun. Chris Davis had a pretty decent week, right? Uh, pretty decent week offensively, but still 50% of his play points was for strikeouts. <laughs> Can I tell you something crazy? Sure. My backup choice? Yeah, backup choice. If, if it weren't Adam Jones? Yeah. This is awful. Sure. I was going to go with Caleb Joseph. Oof. And how the money have fallen. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the drinks of the week talking. He's been doing okay lately. He's all right. Yeah, but yeah, it's just okay. Um, all right. Well, with that, Jake, let's go ahead and dive over into the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, Jake. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is where we go through the good, the bad, the ugly for who we think was good, who we think was bad, and who we think was ugly for the Baltimore Orioles. And we really do appreciate everyone kind of responding on Twitter with their goods and bad and the ugly. We're going to continue to do that the rest of the week. So check in on Twitter and uh, give us your good, bad, and the ugly on a Monday morning. Just let us know what you're thinking in terms of how the Orioles stand. Jake, hashtag O's good, hashtag O's bad, hashtag O's ugly. Jake, I've got my good for the week. It's got to be Gary Thorne. With Adam Jones coming up here in the seventh inning, Jones' approach to the plate with Carroll. 
delivering. Jones will whack the son of a gun to center field. That's very deep. It's deep, and it's off the base of the wall. He will head to second base. Adam Jones has a double, and that green jacket is well within reach, Jim. That is amazing. And anyone that ever doubts Terry Thorne as, as one of the best Major League Baseball announcers needs to listen to that video on a loop. Gary Thorne, you're amazing. You are my good for the week. The best part about that is that it happened in the same game in which the opposing players or the opposing team's broadcast booth complained that he was audible in hey. their call. Hey, of you're the too game. loud over there. If you're making Hulk Harrelson yell over and say, hey, you're too loud over there, it's pretty good. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I, I feel embarrassed to give my good in comparison to that good. But for me, Scott, it's got to be the rotation. They, they were really good this week. They have been the Achilles heel of this team for all of the season until this week. And uh, you're going to have to help me out here. Is it six consecutive quality starts or five of six or something of that nature? It's five of six quality starts right now, yeah. But the, the Orioles' rotation is figuring it out, and it is it is not just the usual suspects. And by the usual suspects, weirdly, I mean Abaldo Jimenez. He's yep. been the only one that's been a constant. But this week, the Orioles' starters have really put it all together. Abaldo Jimenez, Wei Yin Chen, everybody has been going deep into games and putting the Orioles in a position to win it. And and here's the thing. I love Adam Jones as this team leader, and I, I especially love hearing him on the post-game interviews. And uh, he has a great game. You know, he gets four hits. He gets a, mi- a million RBIs, whatever it is. He's on fire. We talked about it earlier. First thing he says when he's asked about the game, our starter went deep and gave us a chance to win. And he's right. Yeah. He's right. They always say momentum is only as good as, as your next starter. They're on a tear right now where the starting rotation is a, a rotation that I can believe in again. Not incredible ace stopper stuff, but a bunch of guys that are going to give you good quality starts every time. Yeah, it was very similar to July and August of last year where not dominant stuff, but just put the balls into play and pitch with command. And that was all the way through the order. Um, just really nice to see. Um, and hopefully with getting J.J. Hardy back too, solidifying up in that infield, it's just going to get better as well with the defense as well behind you know some really nice pitching. So Jake absolutely pinpoint the rotation across the board was good this week. Jake, I'm going to go into my bad this time, and that's going to be who we talked about, Alejandro Diazza with his strikeout percentages going off the charts um, above 30%, and that's just not acceptable for a person that is trying to be a leadoff hitter slash whatever it may be. I'd much rather see, you know, Steve Pierce, Travis Snyder, or even Dave Lowe. Stop there. Um, so Alejandro Diaz is going to get my bad for the week. All right, for me, bad has to be Everth Cabrera. Everth yep. Cabrera, I think right now is fighting for his job. He's got an option. He's yep. got an option, which means that when Ryan Flaherty and and uh, JJ Hardy are available for this club, he is on the chopping block to go back to the minors, and he is just not getting it done. He's had the opportunity to start at at short, and you know, he's been a competent defender, but I won't say he's been a great defender. No, and he's been nothing at the plate in in opportunities to hit the top and the bottom of the lineup. In thirteen at bats this week, he's had just two hits against. Five strikeouts and no walks. You know, he had just one RBI. Uh, not enough. 
it's not enough for me. And and he's really, I think, putting his major league roster spot in danger by not doing anything for this club. I don't see him making it once Ryan Flaherty and J.J. Hardy come back. Second base is not his natural position. Ryan Flaherty is going to be the much better option to go back to second base with J.J. Hardy. I think it's pretty apropos, personally, that J.J. Hardy and Ryan Flaherty are both at Bowie to do their rehab assignment together. Some people would say, oh, that's just coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. I think this was basically tailor-made by the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Jake, I'm going to go to my ugly for the week, and it's going to be Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce has been um, not great at the plate, but what's really been ugly is seeing him have to be pushed to second base, and I just hate seeing it. Yes, nothing bad has happened so far for Steve Pierce, but there's no reason in the world that Steve Pierce should be playing second base. If Ray Navarro is not good enough to be a second baseman, then what is he on his team to do? Steve Pierce should not be at second base. He's never played second base before. And yes, nothing bad has happened yet. Can, can I get a quick rebuttal? Sure. I try not to argue in the good, the bad, the other, because I think as much as it is fact-based, it's opinion-based. And, and you that's a fine that's a fine assessment. Yeah. But let me do quick rebuttal. Quick rebuttal. Steve Pierce is the utility knife. Steve Pierce is the major league equivalent to the utility knife. We don't have a good enough option with scope and Flaherty down. We've got Ray Navarro. He's a quadruple A guy at best. And so Steve Pierce provides Buck Showalter with the ability to say, hey, in short term, I need you to suck it up and I need you to play second base and I hope it's going to be all right. And you know what? Yes, he hasn't gotten burned yet, but he's been all right. He's been all right. I I think that is as much a testament to what Steve Pierce is as that super utility guy, as that guy who's made it from quadruple A to being a, a, not every day, but a regular major league guy, a guy we can all root for. He's the everyman. I, I almost feel like this adds to the legend of Steve Pierce in the, regular Steve season, Pierce. in the regular season. Well, that's fine. The legend of Steve Pierce needs to learn how to start hitting the right field as opposed to left field so that he can start getting some base hits. You'll get no <laughs> argument from me there. All right, Jake, go ahead and uh, finish this up with some ugly. Look, we usually do you for for the ugly every week, but I I have to talk to Oriole fans right now. Just Oriole fans, Birdland, you and me right now, sit down, let's get personal. You need to shut up. You need to get over yourself. All right, not all of the fans. I'm talking to the specific subset of fans who've been complaining about Major League Baseball and the Rays not going quid pro quo on a home away series. We had a very terrible thing happen in Baltimore. We were having a very terrible thing happen in Baltimore, and it's cost the Orioles games, and it's cost them home games. The Orioles had to move their series to Tampa Bay, and Tampa, they couldn't work out a situation in which they Tampa would exchange it uh, for a series up in Baltimore. I, I get that from a fan standpoint, we should say, oh, yeah, just swap them. It's no big deal. You can do that. But from a player's perspective, let me just say three games in an 162-game marathon is less than 2% of the games that you're going to play. For the Orioles, who were expecting to play a game, a series at home against the Rays, to have to fly to Tampa is no big deal. To have to play three games in Tampa before they go to play a series in New York is no big deal. And I say it's no big deal because, again, it's it's less than 2% of their schedule, but just look at how they performed. 
The Orioles went and they won a series, quote-unquote, at home, at Tampa. Don't waste a second thinking of this Tampa series. It's over. It's in the rearview mirror. It's adversity that the Orioles met, they faced it, and they advanced. They won. And now they're on to new challenges. And they'll have a bunch of other challenges throughout the season, but for the people that are complaining about this particular series and how unfair it is, let it go. It doesn't matter. I don't want to hear it anymore. Much as I don't want to hear any more GD cowbells or the wave or whatever it else it is that you do in Tampa Bay. So Orioles fans who are upset about this series, you were the cowbell, the noise of this season that is 2015. And you, my friends, are ugly. All right. Well, with that soapbox now pushed aside, why don't we go ahead and blow the save? Jake? Sure. Let's go ahead and blow the save. If I can blow the save for just a moment, I'm going to hop back up on my soapbox. I know this is going to shock you, Scott. I know this is going to shock you. We had a great couple of guests tonight, and I just want to encourage everyone who's listening to go downtown. Go downtown. Spend a few dollars. Make sure that you are part of something that is declaring that the city of Baltimore is something worth being a part of. Make sure that you are part of the rebuilding of Baltimore. Make sure that you are part of the recovery of the businesses that are downtown. Make sure if if Baltimore is the cultural center of your world, if it is where your heart lives, if it's the place that you were born, if it's the place that you work, even if it's not the place that you live, if it is the place that you call home culturally, help fix it. Part of that means spending your dollars. Part of that means spending your time. And part of that means opening your hearts and making sure that you're part of a productive discussion for some very difficult challenges that we as a nation and as a community here in Baltimore face. I'm blowing the safe tonight saying, be part of the solution. We keep saying we love you, Baltimore, and we do. Show the Baltimore that we know and we love. All right, can I take the soapbox away now? I'm done. Okay, good. All right, well, that got heavy really quickly and um we're gonna try to get away from that heavy stuff because we keep losing followers every single time we get heavy so um we appreciate everyone coming out and uh you know listening to this podcast and uh jake finally get back to baseball this week it's been kind of absent and stagnant for the past week so it's good I've to be back it. yeah I've missed it's it been odd time. very odd so jake uh mets and yankees any predictions yeah, I think the Orioles are going to do well in the series. I think the Mets are going to be uh, a challenge. But i got to be honest, the Yankees have surprised me for as uh, spunky as they are in this early in the season. All right. Well, with that, Jake, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye. I have nothing else left. Baltimore and beyond, adieu, adieu. Baltimore and beyond, thanks for listening. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. It's over. Go home. Go.